0: Welcome to Precision Medicine Forum podcast, chatting with patients, healthcare, industry and research professionals about creating personalized medicines for each and every one of us. Together, we head to the Holy Grail, mainstream precision medicine. Here's your host, Scott Buckler. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Precision Medicine Forum podcast. And today I am delighted to be joined by Olivia Elemento who is the director of the England Institute for Precision Medicine at the Weill Cornell Medicine. And we're delighted to have Olivia with us uh, on this podcast. Um, I'm gonna kickstart things, Olivia, and ask us a little bit, tell us mo- more about the inaugural funding you've just received to create a new AI platform.
1: Absolutely, well, thank you so much uh, for having me on the show, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here i delighted to tell you a bit about uh, this award that uh, we just got and, and hopefully we can also talk about other things um, uh, You know, focused on, on precision medicine and other topics. Um, so we were recently awarded a, 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 an amazing um, grant from the NIH um, to study voice as a biomarker of health. Uh, which is, you know, really interesting for us, you know, when we think we think about biomarkers, you we tend to think about molecular biomarkers you know, we tend to think about DNA, DNA mutations or uh, expression of genes in tissue in the blood uh, This is a very different type of biomarker. This is a, uh, a type of biomarker that's you know, in theory very easy to collect, you know, voice and sound, you know, it's like the uh, probably the easiest thing to collect from from human beings and we're excited to, uh, to get this funding to be able to uh, deploy um, uh, voice and the infrastructure to collect it and analyze it uh, and, and, uh, and apply it to multiple different types of disease um, and you know, happy to go into more detail about this. This is a, a very much a, a multi-disciplinary effort uh, involving lots of people, involving my great colleague at uh, University of South Florida. Uh, her name is uh, Yael bet Dr. Yael bet She's a, a laryngologist, uh, you know, really amazing uh, expertise in terms of, uh, you know, essentially a voice, uh, voice disease. And, and I think, you know, she brought a lot to the table in terms of uh, understanding where voice can be used and, and what can be done about it.
0: This, to me, and probably to our listeners, um, is a bit of a game changer in the field of biomarkers as, as, as we know them. Why so though? For those who are understanding a bit about biomarkers and those who haven't, why is it such a, a game-changing uh, project and uh, next step platform? Yeah, it,
1: is a, uh, um, it has the potential to be a game-changing sort of a of platform. Uh, the main reason is that uh, we think we can use voice as a way to uh, very easily um, detect certain types of disease quite early we're thinking about neurological disease for example you know parkinson's disease you know alzheimer's disease these are diseases essentially of the brain that imp- you know impairs uh, cognition in lots of different ways and it probably impairing also uh, certain types of functions including voice functions and the way we you know the way people articulate and the way that people uh, uh, speak and, and so what we're trying to do is to use, you know, subtle uh, changes in terms of speech patterns or sounds or, uh, uh, and, and use that as a way to detect uh, whether somebody has a, a disease in the earliest stage possible. Because as you know, right, I mean, it's really universal across most diseases. Uh, the earlier we detect disease, the more we are able to mm-hmm. uh, treat the disease and sometimes prevent the uh, progression of the disease. So, I think it's a game changer in that sense. I think there's a, a very large number of diseases that could be potentially detected using voice, and 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 done done in a way that you know is very easy. Because right? so, you know, obviously, you know, a blood test you know is easy, right? But just collecting voice is you know. About a hundred times easier, a thousand times easier, right? You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to go to a physician. You can just do it in, inside your home. And, yeah. and I think this is the beauty of this, uh, this project is the, you know, the simplicity by which we could use this kind of biomarker to detect disease. It's probably, again, I think thinking about biomarkers, it was probably the simplest biomarker that you can think of in terms of at yeah. least your collection. Uh, and, and I think that's really remarkable. Definitely
0: something that's, something that struck me, um, on this podcast, in, in the past, I've talked about the role of biomarkers, uh, genomics, and diagnostics, but I've also looked at how that can be supportive of uh, mood, psychiatric disorders, depression, bipolar. Now, as a, a bipolar type 2 sufferer myself, I'm quite interested to realize that this is opportunity to support um, on that Particular field, so that that in itself is quite a big game changer.
1: I completely agree, and I think the way that we want, by which we want to use those um, biomarkers, is not only for early detection. You know, as as we discussed, early detection is a um, a killer application of biomarkers in general, right? You know, detecting disease early is is really, I think, the holy grail. Uh, but we think also about this kind of biomarkers also as a way to understand whether, for example, a treatment is working, right? You know, as you know, for a lot of, uh, you know, psychiatric disease or a neurological disease, you know, there are treatments sometimes, uh, you know, there's a uh, potential, you know, treatments in the pipelines in clinical trials and in maybe in preclinical stages. Uh, one thing that we really need to have is a good sense whether a treatment, especially in the trials, in the clinical trials phase, is really working or not. And so we're thinking also if we have a great biomarker for early detection, maybe we can use that biomarker also to assess whether a treatment is actually working and do this almost in real time. As opposed to kinda of have to get the patients into an office and then you know do testing and, and so on. Imagine where, you know, you could just assess the efficacy of uh, interventions, including treatments, you know, drugs. In the confines of your home, right, by just recording voice and voice samples and processing them using using AI and and the, the kind of infrastructure that we're putting in place, I think this could also be a game changer in that sense.
0: You touched on a little bit there about uh, being able to provide your voice in your own home and and the preventive preventative element of this from a data collection perspective, people providing their voice recording speaking into to to. Whatever platform or, or system, how do you collate that information and cover it when it is what MP4 or or a, a, a file? Should I say?
1: Yeah. So the primary objective of a grant is to actually build the infrastructure for data collection, and we're thinking about data collection in multiple settings. You know, one it will be in a physician's office. You know, where we control you know every aspect of the. Uh, of the data collection, sort of the process, but we're thinking, you know, uh, at some point during the, the, the during the funding period, to be able to almost democratize um, the collection of voice and sounds. Once we understand how to do it well in a controlled environment, we'd like to be able to offer it, you know, and deploy it in people's homes. And I think that, that this will be done through an app. Uh, so we're building essentially a mobile app, you know, a phone app or iPad that allows us will allow us to collect uh, that kind of data. But again, in the control setting you know, initially, but also you know, in a way that eventually will be applicable to uh, at home collection, because it's really, you know, this is really the, the, you know, the, the, the future of, uh, of medicine in general, right? It's just to be able to uh, have patients not have to come to the hospital, but the hospital goes to the patients. And so you know, this is uh, the, very much something that we have in mind in terms of enabling the collection. And so the goal will be to collect data using an app Uh, To store the data, we have to be very cautious in terms of storing voice data because uh, voice is identifiable. You know, after this Mm -hmm. podcast, you know, sort of I hear your voice, I will know immediately that it's you, right? I can tell based Mm -hmm. on your voice, you know, who the person is. Uh, And so we have to be very cautious in terms of storing that data, encrypting the data, making sure that we preserve the privacy of the uh, participants in the studies that we'll set up and also the patients that eventually we'll, uh, we'll, uh, you know, work with. Uh, so we have to be very cautious about that. And so, you know, the infrastructure will also take into account and, and enable maximum levels of privacy when it comes to the storage of the data.
0: This, um, from a funding perspective, is over four years, I believe. What's the, without going into too much detail, and obviously four years is, is a long time, but what is the plan or the timeline in terms of, of this going over that four years from the, the app, the building, et cetera? And what do you foresee being key milestones within that period?
1: Yeah, so the first phase is really going to be about uh, building the app, right? Building infrastructure, right? As you can imagine, you know, now we don't have an infrastructure, we want to be able to uh, start collecting data as soon as possible. Uh, And we have to set up an infrastructure that includes a mobile app, includes a cloud storage, uh, includes also infrastructure to be able to run AI Um, uh, uh, predictions or AI training on the data. Um, We've actually, uh, uh, part of the grant is to partner with a company called Oaken that is going to be providing a federated learning sort of type of system. Federated learning is basically a system where you have ability to um, share data without actually sharing data. You essentially uh, install a little piece of software on multiple um, uh, data uh, clouds if you want. Uh, you do some learning locally in terms of AI, you know, local AI model learning, and then the result of the learning is goes to a central location where all of the different AI models coming from different sites are kind of averaged out or they kind of combine and merge. And then the the, 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 the better model that comes out of um, that averaging goes back to the sites for testing and validation. Um, it's, it is a way to um, Learn from multiple data sets without having to share the raw data, and again, because the data you know is sensitive when it comes to privacy and and uh, and security, you know we kind of have to do this to be able to make sure that we are uh, preserving the, the the full privacy of the patients. So you know, so that's also a milestone is to set up that ability to learn on data after we've collected the data. So you know, it's a combination of things. You know, uh, setting up the the infrastructure, building the apps collecting the data and then applying machine learning methods to be able to uh, learn and create potential biomarkers based on those. And so we have to deploy this in different clinics and different disease. Uh, and that's also part of the plan. So that, that's in a nutshell, what we have in mind regarding this project. Uh, it's a multi-year project, lots and lots of people involved. People here at Cornell, Cornell, uh, laryngologists such as Dr. Anais Rameau, who's one of my colleagues here, who's gonna you know be uh, collecting data. Uh, yeah. Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Alex Tigar i who's going to build the, the mobile apps and all of that. As I said, you know, with my co PI, uh, uh, Dr. Ben Susan at, at USF, was going to oversee the project.
0: You bring to a good point there because I was going to actually next next to ask you something in touch on at the very beginning of the podcast, which was the the thanks you give to the the, the colleagues in Florida. Collaboration, it's something that's banded around quite a lot uh, as a term. But to move towards this, as I said, game-changing biomarker platform, collaboration is key. You've mentioned Okin and, and, and other people. Do you foresee collaborative approaches such as this being the key solution to progress within preventative healthcare moving forward, certainly when it comes to to stuff like biomarkers for for common diseases.
1: Well, you know, I I always say at a high level, right, um, collaboration is really something that human beings, you know, really uh, become, uh, you know, amazing at. And, and, you know, I I think to quote, um, I think it's Scott Galloway who said that before, you know, collaboration is like, you know, the human species superpower. And, and I completely embrace, mm-hmm. you know, this idea, you know, in academia, you know, collaboration does not always come very naturally, you know, there's always the uh, the myth and the legend of the lone scientist, you know, the, the Einstein doing kind of work on their own and, and you know, and, and coming up with like a theory of the universe, you know, by themselves, uh, you know, but this is not the reality of science these days, you know, because science has become very complex. And this project is an illustration of its complexity because, you know, we have to uh, bring together... People from different fields, you know, people who specialize in voice disorders, people who uh, specialize in building infrastructure for data collection, people who specialize in machine learning and AI. You know, these are, there are very few people who can do all of this, and you know, this is just a great example of how you know, critical collaboration is is really uh, is really in the context of science, and and this project, uh, you know, is is really. Uh, you know, really exciting for that reason because it brings people from multiple fields together to achieve uh, uh, what hopefully will be a great outcome.
0: Talking finally around the role of AI, tell us a little bit about your work around spatial omics and how they complement AI. Certainly, when it comes to cancer research, I, I know that's a, an area that you're quite passionate about. It is. It is.
1: I think it's another amazing field. Uh, you know the the the. the it's clear to me that um, we're gonna need multiple biomarkers for different disease and and for different uh, applications, right? So we're not putting all of our eggs into one basket. We are actually looking at multiple different types of biomarkers. And the ability of measure uh, cells in the context, in the native context, in the natural context or physiological context, for example, in the cancer, what's something uh, something that's really important to keep in mind in cancer is that in a typical tumor, you have lots and lots of cancer cells, but you also have a tremendous number of non-cancer cells. And the cancer cells and the non-cancer cells, they talk to each other, they kind of help each other. And we need to understand that process by which you have an ecosystem of different cells that you know that work you know, in, in, uh, in, in, in collaboration with each other almost uh, to sustain the disease phenotype and what it tells us about, for example, the ability of a tumor to respond to a particular therapy, such as immune therapy therapy, as you know, is a therapy that targets the cancer, the cancer cells, but not directly. It targets other cells, uh, basically normal immune cells, that then target the cancer cells. Yeah. And so we, 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 we know now that uh, there are many patients who don't respond to immunotherapy. We often don't know why. And we do think that there is some clues or there are gonna be some clues in the special structure of a tissue in the way by which cells uh, talk to each other, for example, or the the layout of a tissue that we think will be informative about uh, who responds to uh, immune therapies and other therapies that target the microenvironment of of the the cancers. So this is an area where I think that special proteomics or special technologies in general, um, because like you said, there's multiple inclination, where special proteomics is measuring protein levels at the level of individual cells, allows us to get snapshots of tissue at single cell resolution you also have special transcriptomics that allows you to measure thousands and thousands of transcripts within individual tissue sections uh, the resolution is not quite the same but you get a ton of information tens of thousands of data points per pixel almost uh, and, and also very powerful in terms of measuring uh, you know the the, the complexity of the microenvironment. so these technologies to me are great you know it's the cutting edge it's really the last frontier when it comes to understanding uh, the, the the way by which um, uh, uh, you know tissues are formed, and, and, uh, and, and the, the the ecosystem that um, you know really consists of uh, real tumours. You know, real tumours have a complex ecosystem, and we need to understand those better. And special proteomics, special transcriptomics, is one of the key answers to ad- addressing that problem.
0: Just finally, one last question before I know you are um, on the tight schedule. Where do you see the um, biggest opportunity? Um, around, for instance, cancer research over the next decade. Um, here in the UK, we're in a, a situation where we find cancer screening and surgery lists at the the worst they've ever been in, in decades. And I feel that's a consequence, obviously, of the impact of COVID-19 on a lot of delayed operations and surgical um, screenings. Uh, with the introduction of AI and the building of new technology, how do you see this next 10 years when it comes to looking at cancer research playing out? Uh, and are we going to see some massive breakthroughs globally uh, in this time?
1: Yes. Well, I, as you mentioned, screening is really critical. The detection of disease as early as possible, you know, is is really, uh, uh, should really be uh, uh a goal that uh, you know the, the field of cancer, for example, really needs to focus on because it is you know it is uh, critical. Uh, we can treat patients where uh, we detect cancers at least so much better than if we detect the cancer late. So, I'm a big fan of uh, liquid biopsies, you know, which mm-hmm. involves um, looking at molecular um, signals, if you want, in the blood um, as cell signals or uh, molecular signals in the blood. Uh, to be able to detect, for example, who has cancer at the earliest stage possible. Liquid biopsies I think are really exciting because um, there's possibility to use all kinds of different signals, right? So I'm sure that you've you've heard about uh, liquid biopsies based on cell-free DNA, which is when uh, you have a tumor, you know, you have lots of cells dying within the tumor. The dying cells within the tumor shed DNA into the blood Uh, and one can in theory detect that DNA with the mutations that are found within the tumor and assess whether a patient has cancer based on that uh, information. The issue here is that it's kind of a needle in the haystack uh, type of problem because there's a tremendous amount of DNA in the blood that does not come from the tumor cells. It comes from normal cells dying. You know, the the normal physiology of a human being involves lots and lots of cells dying all the time. So the tumor DNA is a bit diluted in that, in, in, the, in the sort of cell-free DNA. So we, we need to be better at um, capturing these uh, tumor-associated uh, patterns. Um, my view is that, you know, we're going to go beyond DNA, right, for the detection. We're going to use metabolites because, likewise, when cells die, they're going to release metabolites also in the circulation. Proteins, yep. you know, proteins also are released. You know, when it's, when a patient has a tumor, it probably induces changes in terms of the immune uh, system of the patient, right? The, 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 the body is adapting in terms of uh, what it sees as an, as an abnormal, uh, 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 sort of organ or abnormal sort of uh, set of cells within the body and probably creating a little bit of an immune response. So, so imagine if we're able to collect all of that information, right? The metabolites, the DNA, the methylation of the DNA, the proteins, you know, the cell uh, changes. You know, I think the future is towards combining all that information and the combination of that information, the integration of that information is typically what AI is really good at. You know, it's able to pick up patterns, you know, in different places, different data types and combine them and and help uh, make a particular uh, sort of prediction. And and I think that uh, prediction of cancer using this kind of multi make approach is very, very promising. I think we're seeing the early stage of that um, Grail, as you know, the company has a great, uh, very promising uh, uh, tool, uh, a liquid biopsy tool to be able to detect cancer early, but it's only using one type of data. Imagine how you can combine that with multiple data types. I think you'll increase the accuracy of these tools and I think you'll make early detection much more powerful moving forward.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, uh, Olivier, for your time um, and we look forward to seeing how the Uh, platform develops and uh, i'll be keeping an eye on how that um, develops over the next four years Uh, once again congratulations and thank you for joining the precision medicine forum podcast thank you so much for having me scott really appreciate being there that was precision medicine forum podcast visit precisionmedicineforum.com to get all the show resources and find out about our upcoming episodes and events and please subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode